This is Behind the Exploratory Lenses, season number two. Yes, indeed, we are now in the second season of this little podcast of mine where it's mostly become about racing, but it's more than just racing. And with my very first guest to start off season number two, we discuss about racing, but we also point out the business sides of thinking this is not other than two-time Daytona winner in the Arkham Menard series, Michael Self, who used to be a competitor out west. You might know him as the car with the big green dinosaur that kind of looks like Dinoco, but it's actually Sinclair Oil. You probably remember him being a championship contender. But also, have you wondered what Michael Self does outside of the racing thing when it comes to driving? He's also been a driver coach. He helped out not other than Xfinity Series star Justin Haley back in the day. And now going into 2021, he's going to be a general manager for Silver Hair Racing in the Trans Am TA2 category. Trans Am will be a part of both not just the NASCAR, but also the IndyCar race weekends, one particular being in Nashville on the street circuit, which hopefully, fingers crossed, with this pandemic is done and over with, I get to be a part of that Nashville weekend. But it was an absolute pleasure to spend 30 minutes uh, phone call interview earlier this morning. As a matter of fact, it was 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time compared to the out east. It was 10 a.m., very early for my time because it's usually very difficult for me to get up these days very very early but i found a way to make it done as i'm recording this is not uh, not that long after that interview i had with michael so rather than explain where have i been the past couple months why i took a break we're just gonna jump straight to the interview because much like the previous season where i had holly holland and gracie trotter to name a few we discussed not just racing, we also discussed other stuff like the inspiration, the motivation, as not just from a competitor, but also as a human being. And also we tossed in some music talk, because why not? Because I like talking about music. Every guest that I've had, we talk about music at some point. So Michael's, that was no exception to it. So, what I hope you guys enjoy with this interview that you're about to hear is that you learn more about Michael, not just the driver, but also as a business person because Silver Hair Racing has is quite the story how he got involved in Trans Am and now he's going to be part of a huge role in Tyler Kisera's racing career. You may not have heard of this name, but if you've watched Trans Am next season or if you're interested because you're obviously intrigued about Michael Self, hopefully you realize the kind of talent he'll be. And most certainly, after doing that interview, that'll be one guy I'll keep an eye on when time permits. Watching Trans Am is not that difficult, as you'll find out at the very end of the interview where we do the social media plugins. Let's jump in straight forward to the interview with Michael Self. <laughs> We're almost a day removed from that big announcement. You're going from full-time ARCA driver to now general manager of a Trans Am team. Just discuss how excited are you to get that opportunity and also kind of how that discussion came to be. Some people might be surprised to hear that when I'm making the transition from, you know, what, what a lot of people view as the dream job of, of being driving. Um, but, but you know, I, I look at this as, as a real opportunity to, to move forward. You know, I'm very proud of, of what I've done with, with Sinclair last couple of years in the ARCA series, Venture Radio Motorsports. Um, have done everything that I that I wanted to. You know, I've, I've won on every type of track. We've had a little, little bit of struggles in trying to bring home a championship. But at the end of the day, you know, it was it was a, it was a great great run for me. I feel like, and, and 
this opportunity came up through the, the coaching that I've done in the Trans Am TA2 series the last couple of years. Um, Maurice Hull has been a, a client of mine since 2017, and he, he's gone and, and started Silver Hair Racing um, on his own, something that he, he always wanted to do in, in, in starting a race team and, and was, was looking for, for some guidance from, uh, from someone that had, had a lot of experience managing, managing different, different items in the, in the racing world. And, and what I've done with Sinclair, I, I think gave me a pretty good background and a pretty good foundation to, to work on. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll go back a little bit and say that I returned to college in 2016 with a focus on business management because I, I've always been interested in running a race team. Back when I was with H. Scott Motorsports coaching over there, you know, I looked at Mike Grichy and saw what he was doing and thought I would be interested in doing something like that and being in that position. So, so Maurice offered this and said, hey, you know, we're, we're willing to work with you. We want to work alongside you, help you learn, help you develop, help you, help you grow and, and make this something you can put on your resume. Um, and so the timing, the timing was right. You know, let's face it, 2020 was a hard year for, for a lot of people. It was especially hard for the oil industry. Um, Sinclair wasn't, wasn't going to be able to, to commit to quite as much going forward on the ARCA side of things, on racing. And, you know, it's, as, as a driver, it's, it's stressful sitting there knowing that what I do, that my, my income, um, that, that my opportunity on track is going to come from whatever sponsorship I, I generate. And with that kind of up in the air, this is something that offered a little bit more long-term viability and something that was a little bit more financially responsible for myself and my family. Um, and so it seemed like the right time to, to try something try something new. You brought up driving coaching and also your co- college education back in 2016. In this time, especially you mentioned with the pandemic and everything and also some teams struggling to kind of keep themselves financially afloat. How vital is it to have that education and also a backup plan in the world of racing? So, so here's a little bit of a story. When I was in high school and even probably before high school, that was when that was in, I graduated high school in 2009, um, 2009, 2010, 2011. That's when I was racing the Canaan West series for the first time. And I remember people asking me all the time, what's your backup plan? And I didn't have one. You know, I was a little bit of an arrogant kid at that point because I'd been fortunate from family surroundings to get, you know, to be able to race as much as I wanted to. And I, I, my, my answer was always, you know, I'm, I've been pretty successful in racing. I'm going to continue to focus on this. And I think that, that I, I don't need a backup plan. And I look back now and I just go, man, that was such a, such a naive thing to say. And, and when I realized that was in, in 2014, we, we didn't have any family money left to go racing. Um, we didn't have any sponsorship and, and the, the time had kind of come for me to move past the K and N series. And I was kind of sitting there without anything to do. Um, I'd, I'd actually started working at the Ford racing school, which was in, in Utah at the time at Miller Motorsports park. But that was all I, all I had as far as a, a backup plan, just the coaching that I'd done with the school. And so I moved to North Carolina and got the opportunity with, with Mike Grichy at H. Scott Motorsports to come and work with some of the drivers um, coming through that program to spot for them and coach for them. And, and as I did that, I sat there and I said, you know, uh, I, I, I don't want to be in this position where I don't have a viable backup or, or a viable education to rely on. And so I went back to school starting in 2016. I returned to, to Central Piedmont Community College um, and started to pursue a degree in business administration and kept coaching at the same time.
time. It's kind of how I kept myself afloat, how, how I was able to pay my way through school. Um, and, and then the things, you know, they've really, really surprisingly come together. I mean, I think my, my education, everything that I learned at school helped in building the Sinclair partnership and, and establishing that and growing it to what it became. Um, and, and with coaching, I was able to get the opportunity that I have now, but open up a world of net, a, a much larger network, a world of relationships. Um, and so I, I tell a lot of the kids that I work with now, look, you know, it, whether you whether you think you're the next Jimmy Johnson or the next Christopher Bell or, or if you have the even if you have the results to prove that you are, having some sort of education is not a bad idea. I mean, it's not going to hurt you in any capacity. I know that it takes a lot of time, and and we don't all want to go to college. You know, it's it's hard. It's a lot of hard work. But I believe that it's paid off tremendously for me, and it's something that that I really vouch for. No, most certainly a backup plan is vital as well no matter what field it is and it's quite interesting that you go from that time period where you had a raising career and also when you went to college you also had that coaching gig you mentioned about you you already having experience in the trans am side as you gotta elaborate how that kind of came to be said through the sinclair folks or kind of how oh, over time just something that might interest you at to do stuff outside of ARCA and the driving thing. So, so Trans Am actually came from a client of mine. I was working in 2015, again, through H. Scott Motorsports. I got the opportunity to work with Justin Haley. Justin was going to be running his f- first uh, full year of stock cars in the Kane and East cars. Um, and I started with him, and actually his uncle um, bought to me, hey, you know, to work on Justin's road racing abilities, we bought a, a Trans Am TA2 car. And I- I'd heard of Trans Am but I wasn't very familiar with it at the time. Um, I, I had kind of thought of what Trans Am was back in the 70s, you know, when it was so popular. Um, so we went down and, and we did our, I'll never forget, our first test was at Sebring. I think that was early in, in February. And we, we went and I was able to jump in the car that he'd bought. And I was like, man, this thing is, is very similar to the, the Canaan car. It's the same brake package, it's the same transmission. It's a very similar tire. You know, it's kind of like, this is, this is great. I mean, for getting experience in the NASCAR or ARCA stuff, this is definitely what guys need to be doing and what guys need to be utilizing. So I stuck with Trans Am with Justin. We ran a part-time schedule that year, and I was his, his driver coach there. And then he ran full-time in 2016 with Mike Cope Racing in the TA2 Series. Um, and I, I stuck with him through all of that. And, and Justin kind of became a force. He, he was competing for a championship in 2016 in TA2 as well as the K&E Series. I think people saw that, and so under the Mike Cope banner, I was able to get some additional clients um, in, in Keith Prochuk and, and Matt Parent, and it, it became a pretty good home for me. It became a, a spot where I could regularly coach, and I had some, some full-time reliable clients in the TA2 stuff, um, and it, it was something that I really enjoyed doing. I really enjoyed the racing. I, I really enjoyed the cars. I really enjoyed working with Cope and his team. And uh, it, it grew from there. So, you know, from that point on, I've worked with the Trans Am Series ever since, going to almost every race. Um, and that's, you know, I was fortunate to, to meet guys like Maurice, who's now my boss, and to coach him and, and develop that and many others. And I fully intend on, on coaching still um, in the TA2 Series. Is that something that I really enjoy? Well, definitely, Drew, good, good point. Now, speaking of Justin and the- also those guys how 
neat is it to see like a lot of road racing now being implemented in the NASCAR side of things, even as well as ARCA, more notably next year, where essentially all all this touring series will have a huge role with those tracks that are making left and right turns. Yeah, you know, I again, it goes back. I think this is the, the TA2 series and road racing in general is something that's become very, very important for NASCAR with seven road races on the on the cup schedule next year i only see that number increasing going forward and it's becoming look you've got a you've got the charlotte roval that's a, a playoff race i mean seven of, of 38 races what is that that's almost 20 percent of your schedule so you've got to be good you have to have those road course abilities and with with nascar limiting testing and making it so that you, you really can't go do any in nascar or anything ta2 is the next best option we run the the same car essentially we run the same transmissions we run the same brakes we run very similar tires to what they run on the cup and the xfinity cars i mean our cars are a little bit lighter but as far as comparison and a practice tool it it's it, it would be shocking to me that people don't consider coming and doing some form of either ca2 testing or racing um to get seat time and, and experience for the nascar stuff yeah, and that's definitely the case. We see a couple drivers from NASCAR run Trans Am, like a Natalie Decker. And we've seen a couple Trans Am guys make the occasional road racing stars. It's definitely, I think, for the longest of time, I think people are realizing that this road racing thing is quite very intriguing because when I started watching racing, it was only very few far in between because people just viewed road racing as more of an IndyCar open wheel type of thing. But now they just see it as kind of like common ground. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with that. Like I said, it's it's just, you're just starting to see more of it. And frankly, watching the TA2 races, in my opinion, as someone who's seen the majority of the races the last five or six years, it's some of the most entertaining racing that I've watched. The races are a good length. They're capped at 70 minutes. They go to some of the best tracks in North America. And, you know, we go to Sebring. We go to Road America. We go to Road Atlanta. Um, in the past, they've gone to Daytona. They're going to the Charlotte Roval this year. They're going to Mid-Ohio. They go to Watkins Glen. They're going to Canada this year with NASCAR. I mean, it's just some phenomenal, you know, top-end top tracks. And the races are really, really genuinely exciting. I mean, it's just just great road racing in a short time frame that I think from a fan standpoint is, is something that's really attractive. So I, I hope that the series can, can build with the NASCAR guys that are coming to do it with the, the, the tracks, you know, where they are, um, and hopefully just continue to grow a, a solid fan base. Definitely. Now, the driver that you'll be, that'll be in a part of the Silver Hair Racing Team would be Tyler Kisera. What is the one thing you're looking forward to working with him as far as helping him out in his racing career, especially on the Trans Am level? So, so Tyler, I, I've been blown away at how how just intelligent he is and how capable he is in on and off the track. You know, Tyler was a, a relatively unknown name when he when he came into the TA2 series a couple of years ago. And he's only run a handful of TA2 events, but every single one, he's competed for a podium, and he won the race at, at, at VIR. And so, you know, when a guy like that pops up in his first race, he's competing for, for a podium in, in a very, very competitive TA2 field. You know, you're, you're sitting there, and you're going, who is this, right? You're like, this guy's running really, really well. Is he some local that's got a ton of laps here or something? And But then it translates. The next one, you go, man, this guy's furious, right? And, and you don't know. I mean, this guy's running a family-run organization who knows what kind of budget that he has, who knows what his 
what his skill set is, and I've seen that stuff with Tyler and know that, hey, he, he is coming from a family-run organization that has a limited budget, and he's coming out and he's winning races. And a guy like that, in my opinion, is, is capable of coming and, and winning a lot of races in a, in a really developed program. I think Tyler is going to do really, really well for Silver Hair on track. I'm excited to see him get the opportunity to run full-time and run for a championship because he's – he deserves it. He's a great driver. He's worked his way through the, the ranks of road racing. Um, and, and frankly, off the track, he's just a really, really good guy. You know, he, he has his backup plan. He has his job that he focuses on every week. Um, and, and he's just tremendously helpful to the team um, off the track and in terms of the feedback that he's able to give, the, the guidance that he's able to give, and some of our creative and marketing stuff. There's a, there's a lot of things that I'm really excited about with Tyler. For sure, right? I imagine a lot of people will be looking forward to hearing that and also keep an eye on him. Because like, you mentioned that you have like a tremendous fan base that kind of f- stuck with you through thick and thin. How appreciated is that to have a, a great group of people? Like you mentioned also, not just the fans, but also Sinclair Oil after all these years. Because one of the things I re- remember vividly is that a couple years ago you were running out west. And if I recall, you were driving for Bob, right? Bob Brunkati? Yeah, being having a very different paint scheme because you had the Sinclair sponsorship. So compared to the usual orange and blue cars, so how grateful is it to have the that kind of fan base of support from not just the fans but also Sinclair Oil over the past couple of years? Well, it, it's huge. I mean, let's let's start with the fan base side of it. You know, anyone that, that is willing to support myself as a driver as a person, it, it inspires confidence. You know, it, it's. It's nice to have that kind of support, but then from a sponsor standpoint, as Sinclair, I mean that's the the goal, right? We want to get customers and fans that are committed to the Sinclair brand. They're going to buy merchandise. They're going to fill up at Sinclair gas station when that opportunity is there. And I, I think we succeeded in in getting a lot of exposure for Sinclair, um, even at the Arca and Canaan level the last couple of years. And I think a lot of the fan base came because people liked the dinosaur car. You know, whether they liked me or not, they probably liked a car that had a dinosaur on it. And so working with them as a brand was really exciting and really fun because I, I it, it took a lot of the work out of it for me. I mean, whether you're you're a little kid or whether you're you're older, if you're little, you like the dinosaur car. And if you're if you're older, you you may see the Sinclair brand as something a little bit nostalgic and remember the stations from back in the the 40s and 50s when they were a national brand. And so being able to to gather a fan base. For, for those reasons and now hoping that they'll they'll kind of follow me over to what I'm doing in TA2 is, is special because you know TA2 still it, it doesn't have a tremendous fan base I it, it should and I'm hoping that we're able to build that and bring um, more more to that but you know you want people to, to follow it I want people to follow TA2 because it's really good quality exciting racing I think it's a very viable product I want people to follow Silver Hair because I think they're doing a great thing as far as giving giving guys like Tyler a shot, um, putting together a first-class program, and hopefully someone they can compete to. So, you know, it's very important. If, if I'm able to bring the fans, be, be Sinclair fans or fans of, of Michael Self, over to the TA2 program, that, that's important. It's, it, it's invaluable to have that kind of backup. Most, most definitely. You, If I recall correctly, after the finale at Kansas, you mentioned you were involved with Sinclair, but not just in racing, but also kind of on the business side of things. Want to make clarify what other roles that you had with Sinclair over the past couple of years? I should say several years yeah, as so, well. Yeah, so I, I've 
been managing the Sinclair sponsorship off track. You know, a big part of our sponsorship has been based around hospitality. We've been bringing a lot of Sinclair customers, being distributors or, or licensees, to the racetrack, um, giving them suites, you know, grandstand passes, pit passes, whatever it may be, um, and doing a lot of hospitality and entertainment. That's something that the, the sponsorship really was based off of, and I think we got really, really good feedback, and we're pretty successful with that. Um, also, you know, trying to build different campaigns on the social media side. We did some some in some at at store activations, um, especially when when we were out west running the K and West stuff. We were able to do some stuff uh, at, at Meridian for the race there, bring a car out and do a showing and a giveaway type of thing. Managing all of those sort of things and learning how how a sponsor would would like to activate in racing and what kind of things made the most sense for them from an activation standpoint really helped me learn that hey it's it's so much more than just tv exposure it's about getting the the customers involved it's about getting the fans involved and and getting you know making people happy making the customers happy making sure the customers feel like the brand is giving back to them and learning all that kind of stuff has just been it's been a part of that backup plan it's been a part of that education that i had in terms of how to build a successful partnership how to grow a successful partnership in racing in something that's you know, face, let's face it, racing is driven by by dollars. We're, we're all just extremely hungry for, for sponsorship dollars because that's what gives us the opportunity to be on track. And so the more information I have, the more knowledge I have about creating and building successful partnerships is, is frankly one of the number one things that we're going to rely on to keep going and to stay on track. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of Meridian, if I, you won in that in that venue in, out west, which I believe was the first one in a couple of years. When you look back at your race victories, does the one in Meridian stand out along with your two Daytona victories? It, it does, and you know it stands out for a little bit of a different reason. While that was exciting, that was my first win back in um, in a stock car in, in a couple of years. It was the first win I had with Sinclair. Sinclair was on the car that weekend, and we had a big big hospitality event at the track um, we had a big inflatable dinosaur that kind of sat over the edge of the track so to get that one with I think we had close to 80 people there in our hospitality tent um, that was a really big deal and that is that is a lot of people considering Meridian is a very very small track pretty much essentially almost a, a flat little bull ring that's seen some memorable races that hopefully hopefully that track somehow gets back on the counter but they're looking Looking at what might be the schedule out west, it may be very small, so we'll see if Meridian ends up making the cut because it's a very unique circuit. Because I went there back in 2018 to do photography and the journalism side of things, and yes, that dinosaur I remember seeing it down at Daytona early in the year. Now, speaking of those, speaking of Daytona, just kind of how 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 would you best describe just winning there not just once but twice in a span of a couple of years just how big of a deal is it to win one of the bigger one of the biggest if not the biggest race in arca it's pretty surreal both times um yeah i can't say that one time was more special than the other because that is as as special as it gets um there, there's really no way to describe the feeling of, of when you when you take the checkered flag at Daytona again, not once but twice, and know that you've you know you've one survived that race because that race is 
you know, it's chaotic. There's a lot that's out of your hands as a driver. There's a lot that's out of your control. There's a lot of B factors that you can get caught up in. You can get caught up in someone else's mistake. You can get caught up in your own mistake, and it makes it so difficult to win. So to do it twice in, in three years was, was really special. And it's I think one, one part of it is a lot of tracks. Take out the super speedways. But at a lot of these tracks, intermediates, road courses, short tracks, you go through practice, you go through qualifying, and you know you, you've got a car that can go win. You know that you can go qualify well. You know that you can go run up front, and so there's an expectation of, okay, look, we've got a car that's capable of winning tonight. At Daytona and Talladega, while you may have a fast car in the back of your head, you, you know that all those other factors, all those B factors are, are out there, and you know your chances of winning aren't any better than the next guy's because it's, it's just plate racing. That's just how it goes. And so when you when you are able to win, there's that extra that extra little bit saying, look, you know, whether we had the best car here tonight or not, we overcame. We overcame everything that comes with these races, and we're able to pull it off. Uh, and that's what's what's really special about it. Yeah, it's a very it's, it's a very extraordinary track, unlike most other circuits. But all of them have their own identities. Out of all the tracks you competed in, which ones just the ones you look for you look forward to running the most? And kind of explain why is that to those wondering what is it like to run at that certain track that you enjoyed most? Well, any anytime there was a road course on the schedule, I, I was excited about that simply because of my road racing background, growing up in karting, uh, the amount of road racing coaching and teaching that I've done. Um, so, so this year on the ARCA schedule, we originally had Mid-Ohio and Watkins Fun planned, which are two really, really great tracks, places that I, I was really excited about racing at. And then when, when COVID happened and those tracks both got taken off the schedule, I, I was heartbroken. You know, I couldn't believe it because I felt like I'd been waiting for years to run a road course in the, in the ARCA series. And so when Daytona, the road course, got added to the schedule... That, that became the one that I circled. That was the one that was like, man, that's that's one I'm really, really, truly looking forward to going to just because I want to get back on a road course. Um, but outside of that, I, I always really enjoyed the intermediate track racing. I, I loved going to Kansas. Kansas was a really fast track, very, very smooth, um, You know, fun, fun place to race at, a place where you could generally move around quite a bit, especially in the fall race. Michigan was one of my favorite tracks to go to. You know, I'll, I'll go out with um, the track record at Michigan and qualifying at just over 198 miles an hour, you know, two years ago when we had a little bit more horsepower. And it was just a track that was just so fast, so wide. It, it made it a lot of fun to turn laps at. And so those are the places that I, that I really looked forward to. Speaking of, so got a couple more questions left. You mentioned on Twitter, Twitter yesterday that the driving side isn't quite over yet. Do you, if that opportunity were to come to arise, do you feel like road course will be on top of the list, whether it's in a stock car or in Trans Am? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think there's going to be some opportunity for me to drive in the TA2 series, which I'm really excited about. I, I love driving the TA2 cars. They're a ton of fun to drive. They, they run at some of those best tracks, some of those really great road courses, like I mentioned. Um, but I, I would certainly love the opportunity to do to do more NASCAR, especially on the road courses. You know, I, I'd really love the opportunity to drive a competitive truck or Xfinity car um, at some of these places like Watkins Glen or Coda or Canada or you know Indianapolis, um, Mid Ohio, even even Road America. You know, I will definitely be searching for ways to to make that happen. 
Um, and, and look, if, if some mobile stuff comes up in the future, I, I certainly won't turn down the opportunity. Yeah. And people seem to forget that you have you have run in the Xfinity Series for Johnny Davis before you went back to college in 2016. Just how much of a learning curve was it at that time period to run on the national touring level a couple times in 2015? Yeah, it, it was a, a very big learning experience. Um, it's you know when you when you go around with Johnny, it's, there's the reality around the program is it's it's under budget compared to, to a lot of the cars in the Xfinity field, especially at the time. And so it was it was a lot of learning, okay, what are we capable of and not trying to surpass that. And I made a lot of mistakes trying to do that, trying to get more out of the car than, than maybe myself or the car was capable of. That, you know, I, I caused some damage to Johnny's cars, and that was always kind of the worst feeling because you know that you're on a budget. You, you The last thing that you want to do is cause any damage or any, any extra cost. Um, and so it was learning to kind of reel yourself in and take take what's there and and what's given in that situation. But um, just learning how how competitive it is once you get to that that level, that Xfinity level, just all uh, you know all around from the financial standpoint to the competition standpoint, it, it's it was very very eye opening. But again, something that I would like to maybe have the chance to dabble in again one day. And all those experiences have led to the knowledge that I have now of you know how to hopefully run run a race team, um, and and manage partnerships and manage budgets, uh, you know, whatever the circumstance may be. Yeah, most certainly, it's all about gaining experience and also reflecting on how far you've you've come for sure. If there's one thing you would tell to anyway, so I know you brought it up a little bit as well, having that backup plan. What is the one big advice you would tell to an aspiring business? person that either wants to get involved racing or just kind of keep themselves financially afloat trying different ventures and see what you gain from it man that's a a good question you know i I think the thing that surprised me the most over the years is is working with sinclair um and it was it, it was to keep keep a very open mind when pitching a sponsor don't go in thinking you know what they're looking for or you know what that company may may expect in a sponsorship because you know i I went in expecting sinclair to want business to business relationships and and exposure and while they did want that what we really focused on was the hospitality side of it that's what was really important for them that's what kept them coming back to racing and and once we got the the customers excited about it they gave sinclair the corporation that positive feedback and and made it worthwhile for for the, the corporation to say look these guys are getting value out of this they're excited about it it keeps us them drawn to us as a company and so we're we're going to continue with this um and you know I, I look at that and that's that's the biggest thing for me is not focusing on just one thing or how i think something should be done a certain way there's plenty of different ways and plenty of different ways that something can happen or can be successful so you know just keep an keep an open mind keep an open mind and network as much as you can meet people figure out what those people do figure out what those people have done and and take all that information and just learn from it most certainly even on the media side it's always important to kind of keep that open mind it's difficult now with everything's happening, but I think once everything is in the clear, it gets better where everything seems to get back into normalcy. I imagine a lot of people will get back into the networking side of things person to person because 
as great as I feel like as great as people interact through social media, I think it's that person, the person like interaction that kind of stands out a lot more. Don't you think in that mindset, as far as the business side, that is very important to do it person to person? If possible, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm very much I'm a very open person. You know, I like talking to people, like communicating directly. Um, getting getting to know someone. I mean, yeah, I, I would absolutely say so. You know, as, as much as possible, you're going to gather someone's interest a lot more in person than you may over the phone or over video chat, um, or especially over an email, right? So, so make that extra effort. You know, get out there, be be open, be be be, be social, be very extroverted um, when it comes to meeting people and, and sharing experiences. All right, just a couple more, very few more and more on on the fun side of things. So like when it comes to music, uh, what is kind of like the go to music as far as playlists is concerned before entering a race or even just in the business side of things to kind of get you laser focus? <laughs> so I would say I did when I was racing. I would generally listen to some music when I was getting ready when I was changing, but it would change every time. Um, there's a lot of songs that are probably on my workout playlist. You know, there's a lot of EDM music on there. There's a lot of rap, you know, older rap from maybe the, the late 90s or the 2000s. Um, a little bit of rock, you know, maybe maybe some 80s stuff. I, I really enjoy 80s music. I'm a fan of the throwback stuff. So I'd say any of, any of those three categories. Some, you know, there's some people out there wondering, like, the, the, like this, you know, there's people out there kind of like scratching their heads, like, you listen to that kind of music and all that because the EDM one stands out because I don't think that many people listen to it because I, the people, the, the drivers I interview when I ask that kind of question, they're usually in the countryside, sometimes rock, but I think you're the first one that I heard EDM come up. Just how would you just describe EDM music to those other people that are, are very unfamiliar with it? I, mean, I I get why people people may not like it, but you know I always have. I mean, I think back to like when I was younger and, and dance music would come on. You know, I, I would get excited about that. I thought that was cool. I, I liked the way that it, that it sounded. Um, and then through my high school and, and you know what would have been my my early college years, um, a lot of my friends were into to, into EDM music. You know, I had a couple friends that dabbled in DJing a little bit. Um, and I just thought it. I guess I just liked it, right? I mean. I just liked it. It was something uh, a little bit different. I liked the beat of it. Is you know very high energy music, which which I enjoyed. And look, I guess you know everyone has their own their own opinions and their own taste, right? That was just something that was attractive and, and enjoyable for me to listen to. Well, there's certainly there's some EDM music that stands out to me for sure. It seems like it's kind of evolved over time. Because considering I would it's been a couple of years since I graduated from college and EDM was kind of all the rage, even in the state of Idaho, where it's more like, it's like, wow, even in Idaho, EDM is a big deal. But Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's besides the point. Now, just kind of like the final, the final just take takeaways, kind of like, where would be the ideal way for people to find you and also kind of like follow your Trans Am career? as far as the general manager may be, fingers crossed on your perspective, the driving side. Yeah, I think the, the easiest stuff for now is still going to be on social media. You, know, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Michael Fell and Silver Hair. We're, we're rebranding um, the all the social media accounts over there and trying to get them really active, um, especially going forward to the 2021 season. Um, on Twitter, they're Team, team Silver Hair, and, and they're on Instagram and Facebook as well. And 
the the Trans Am series, they do a really great job of, they actually do a live stream of almost every race. So if you have the Trans Am app, um, they do they do live video stream of every race with, with great broadcasting. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, at, at Road Atlanta, Ryan Eversley, the, the AMS driver, he was one of the broadcasters for it, which made it really exciting. He did a great job at it. So I, I encourage people to check it out, you know. Check it out on your phone. It's free. Download the Trans Am app. Tune into the races. You know, we'll try and do the best job we can at keeping people informed on social media, um, interacting with people, and and you know, trying to get people when when possible and when safe to come out to the races. And hopefully, we'll see some folks at the the road courses, and and you'll be able to share share what the Trans Am series really is. Oh, absolutely. I imagine that people will feel the same way. There's a couple that I imagine there are going to be kind of like part of the NASCAR weekend and also some Indy cars because I think Nashville is also going to be part of that calendar, the new Nashville street circuit. So I'll definitely keep an eye on it and also not just to like watch, but also in person since I'm planning to hopefully fingers crossed things get better to be part of, be around Nashville to see the Trans Am cars on the street course would be a unique photos side project would be. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a super cool weekend, one that I'm really looking forward to, um, having the Trans Am cars on that track with, with you know, the IndyCar weekend. Really, definitely have that one circle on the calendar. I think that's going to be a lot of a lot of hype around that one. Most definitely, that is for sure. So yeah, it was definitely an absolute pleasure to call for 30 minutes to just discuss about not just the driving, but also just Trans Am to kind of get people excited about it and also just intrigued because... From the, I know, like, being a writer and photographer is neat to kind of know both the main side of things, kind of like this new project, but also just kind of expand on it just so people could get interested, especially those who will be listening to this. Yeah, I hope so. Like I said, I, I'm going to really do, you know, try and step up my, my social media game to try and be inclusive and try and get people involved in what we're doing, you know, maybe behind the scenes a little bit, the Trans Am stuff, and try and drive some more focus and some more engagement over there. So, uh, you know, everyone, I, I really appreciate the time today and appreciate you taking as, as much time as you have to ask questions and learn about this. And I hope everyone that, that hears it will will follow, give us a shot over at Silver Hair and, and the TA2 series. And, um, you know, just come see what the series is all about next year. I think they'll really enjoy it. Yeah, most definitely, Michael. It's definitely an absolute pleasure. And I really appreciate taking the time to just discuss about this thing once again. So hopefully you have a good day and hopefully that interview and in, I think less than 10 minutes bodes well for you as well yeah i appreciate it you you as well and thanks again for the time and there you have it that was my interview with michael self not just a two-time marker daytona winner but also a multi-time west winner and the only uh, the only time we've seen a bob Runcardi car that wasn't orange and blue or to have Sunrise Forest, the primary sponsor. I remember that uh, back in 2017 at Evergreens of Life, Inc. was inclined to ask. But yeah, EDM. That is definitely the first time I've heard someone mention EDM as part of the routine. It's always very intrigued to hear different genres. And I'm, I'm always interested. Sometimes some genres I'm not crazy about, but I'm open to some of them. Then again, my music is all over the place. I'm the guy that listens to not just Metallica, but also the Aces, as well as many, many other artists, few far between. Like Back a, a couple weeks ago, somebody had Beach Bunny as their number one most listened artist, and I said, oh, that's the second person I've ever met in my life, or know of. 
that listens to Beach Bunny. So I have this one dear friend of mine. I'm trying to get on a podcast someday. <clears throat> Voice crack. But anyways, that's, that's a different time for another time. Season 2 of Behind the Exploratory Lessons will be a little bit different. To start off, it's going to be sporadic. It's like when I have a guest, you'll hear from it. It's not going to be every Wednesday going forward at the moment of time. Maybe once racing season kicks in, maybe once I, the motivation comes back to invite other guests in this program, we'll make it more of a routine thing yet again. But for now, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you give the other episodes that I've done in Season 1 a listen. Like I said, I had Holly Holland on. I had Gracie Trotter in the Season 1 finale. I also have a couple of my buddies. I also a couple YouTubers like Frisky Dixon and Balto Racing. Like some of the friends like author TJ Trangel, Brandon Crossland, who's just recently did the Snowball Derby coverage. And of course, Emerson Arden, who's running a iRacing league. Yes, iRacing. It's something I cannot have because I have a low budget. But that's for a different topic for another day. Anyways, give that a listen. And also just give my outlets, my media outlets, Motorsports Tribune, and the Podia Finish a follow on social media. So just type it in. Whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, you'll find us. It's also on my Twitter, at the LT Files. Instagram is LuisDTorres94, L-U-I-S-D-S and David, T-O-R-R-E-S-9-4. And for those listening on YouTube, that's a little bit of a sneak peek. And one of the main reasons why I haven't done much YouTube's content, because I'm trying to make this podcast a thing. Hopefully, you guys view this special treat as kind of like, oh... So that's what he's been up to these days, rather than doing red flags and uh, TV graphics. For those who are wondering what about my YouTube career, next time. In the meantime, until we meet again, hopefully you enjoyed the holiday season. Have a wonderful holiday. Stay safe. Be mindful. Use your head. But more importantly, be open to exploring different things.